listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms, right? Of course, all the moms have to cheer. The sons and the children are like, yeah. Listen. Mother's Day is a, is a very special day, and it's a, it's a good time. So here, here's the thing. I want to encourage you, you know, one, yes, you want to get your mom something, but call your mom today. Uh, I spoke with a woman last service because I said, call your mom, contact your mom, no matter what. That's what they want on a Mother's Day. And she said, you know, my mom and I are on speaking terms, but it just prompted me that I'm going to keep my side of the street clean in the relationship, and I'm just going to text her and tell her I love her. And um, sometimes that's the beginning of something very special when you can, do, you can do something like that and just humble yourself in that way. That's a powerful thing. So you want to reach out to your mom on Mother's Day. I wish I could talk to my mom. My mom's in heaven. Um, we have a little skit that our, our drama ministry put together. It's on video, and um, it's about that very thing. You know, we live in a, in a world now where you can, like, I never thought, like, we live in the Jetsons age. Like, I'm waiting for the flying car and the hoverboard. Because you can, like, talk to people and see them. And I never thought that would happen. But you, you can do that just about anywhere, anytime now. So go ahead and fix your eyes on the screen and watch the video. Hey, Mom. Hello. Hey. Hey, honey. Are you there? Mom, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you see me? Mom, I can see your roof and your finger again. Oh, you mean my new nails? No, no, Mom. I mean, I literally cannot see you. I'm seeing your roof again and your fingers. Oh, dear. Remember that stand that I got for you, you know, to help with all the... Yeah, yeah. Okay. That thing, I've been using it to hold up my glasses is oh, what's Mom, happened. Stop, stop moving your oh, <sighs> computer. You're making me dizzy. Okay. There. there. Hi, I dear. See, I can see you now. Yeah. Hey, what do you think of my nails? Yeah, it's bold, but I like it. You know, it's called a hot tamale, and uh, you know, your dad really likes it. Um. Hey, listen, I wanted to call and talk to you about Mother's Day. I know that we're not getting to be with you this year, but we wanted to make sure we did something for you very special to celebrate. We were thinking about getting you a gift card for your favorite restaurant. I know that you love getting takeout and picnicking in the park. Well, I do love that. Yeah. Remember that place you used to take us to with the big wooden bridge over the creek? And we would throw our sticks off one side and then rush to the other side to see whose came out first? Yes, and you would play that for hours. Oh, I know. I, my kids still play that game to this day, Mom. Every time we cross over a bridge like that, they hunt for sticks and race them. Well, you know what I've always said? Give a kid a stick and they can come up with a thousand uses for it. Yeah. Hey, the kids actually thought that you might like one of those um, edible arrangement flower things, you know, with the chocolate strawberries. The reason being is because every time they eat strawberries, they think of you because of all the times we've gone strawberry picking. It's their favorite memory. You know, it's one of my favorite memories, too. I loved picking strawberries with all of you. Oh, I know. I remember as a kid always insisting on having the biggest basket, and you would always warn me about how heavy that was going to get by the end. And I was right, wasn't I? 
Yes. And then we would get those berries home. We would go out to the back garden, pick the rhubarb and make strawberry, strawberry rhubarb pies. You know, I used to do that with your grandmother. And now I do the same thing with my kids. But honestly, where do you find rhubarb? I mean, you can't find it in any store. Mom, I grow it just like you used to. I mean, it's just two little plants out in the back garden between my boxweed bush and my azaleas. Ugh, that makes me so happy to hear. Yeah. So then what about like one of those back massagers for your chair? Ugh, you know, I think your brother got us that last year. Okay, how about a foot spa? Mm, your sister. Well, then maybe a new wristband. You know, those smart ones that they keep track of your heart rate and your steps and everything. I don't even think I'd know how to use that. Okay, well, then how about a dog? Mom, we could get you a dog. Oh, no, 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 no. Honey, honey, listen. Those are all really lovely ideas. Uh, and you know, I love dogs, but do not get me a dog. Okay, mom, I just, I really want to get you something that you love. I mean, you've been such a great mom. You've always been there for me in the good times and the really bad times. And you've taught me so much and my kids too. I mean, what could we ever get you to show you how, what a great mom you've been and a grandma all of these years? This, this right here, this is the what? best gift. What? Oh, honey, you know, as a mother and a grandmother, all I ever want is this to connect, to share memories and make memories and not just on Mother's Day, on any day. It's the best gift that I could ever receive. So thank you for this gift. Oh, mom, thank you. I love you so much. Oh, and I love you, honey. So does that mean I'm off the hook for getting you something this year then? Well, I mean, you could get me some nail polish. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, here's the thing. Moms want your time. They want connection. But get them a gift. That's a trap. That's a trap. I'm just letting you know right now. They're like, no. Oh, no, I don't want anything. Get your mom something. Show, show some love. Amen, ladies? Uh, some of you. Like, nah, I just want some time. But listen, I need to greet everyone first. Good morning to those of you that are watching right now in the blend in our acoustic service in the venue. Good morning to those of you at Old Town. Good morning uh, at Tulare Street in Novato, California, Marin County, and Porterville, California. Good morning to the Hills family. I forgot to greet you guys. So good. Everyone say good morning to them. Let's show them some love. They're all watching. Oh, and hi, online community. Good morning. You guys can go give your mom a hug right now because no one's watching. So go give, give your mom a hug. So we're starting a series today uh, called My Anxious Thoughts. And um, we're going to talk about anxiety. And on, you know, on Mother's Day, there's something that happens when you become a mom. You become instantly anxious about your, about your children, about things. That, that's just kind of how it works. It's actually biological. It's, it's in, in, in the brains of humans. We all have anxiety. Human history has had anxiety. As a matter of fact, I was um, talking with some of my family members and um, my grandfather um, was born in 1898. Now my grandfather's dead and um, I was what many people call an accident. In, in my, uh, my mom was uh, 40 when she had me. She called me a blessing. My brothers called me an accident, but I was, I was a blessing. 
And so my grandfather was super old. Like when, I, you know, my memories of him are him in his 80s and 90s. That's it. And um, I, you know, I, I don't remember a ton of stories from him, but I was talking with some relatives about him. And here's a guy who was born in 1898, which means he um, lived through World War I. He lived through the Spanish flu. He lived through the Great Depression. He lived through World War II. I mean, this, that generation of people experienced an incredible amount of trouble as they went through life. They had anxiety. If you go back to 12th century Europe, those people had anxiety. If you go to 15th century China, they had anxiety. As a matter of fact, your brain was designed to have a, a bit of anxiety and it can be a healthy thing. But here's what's happened in our culture. Somehow, anxiety has begun to cripple us in the 21st century. And we're gonna talk about um, what the Bible says about it, how you draw near to God, how you push through those things in this series. It's gonna be a four-week series. It's gonna be awesome. But um, I, I wanna preface it. Just I want you to think about the story of God's people because they, they, um, they experienced anxiety. They experienced worry. They experienced doubt. They experienced all of those things just like we do. Um, I don't know if you've, you've ever thought of this question before, but what if... As a parent, your kids got everything they ever asked for in life. How would they turn out? Someone said they turn out like a, never mind. Um, it's a politician that runs our country sometimes. But anyways, um, yeah, yeah. That if you get everything you ever want, you actually will become a monster. I mean, I, th I think about that in, in my life, that um, if I asked God, if God gave me everything I ever prayed for, I would have gotten married seven women before Kelly. Because every time, in my, you know, in my late teens and 20s, every time a pretty girl walked in the room, I'm like, I could marry her, Lord. Right? Like that, that, but God, some of the best answers that God has given me in my life is no, not yet, not now, not for you right? No, you can't have that. That would be bad for you, Sean. On and on and on. God, God gives us those. But when we get everything we want, there's this weird sense of discontent. We become discontent with what we have. And see, this is the culture, culture we live in. Um, Israel, I don't know if you realize this, they were in slavery in Egypt for over 300 years. So they're in slavery. And for those 300 years, they begged God, please free us. Let us go. Let us be free. Let us be free. They were given freedom. They, um, you know, if you know the story of Moses, let my people go, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. Uh. So um, he leaves. They, they leave Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. And, they, you know, they celebrate. We're free. We, we, we can be ourselves. We can be our own people. We can be our own nation. And then very shortly they realize, oh no, we're in the desert and we have no water, right? And then, you know, but God provides the water for them. And then they're, they're like, we don't have any food. We're in the desert. We're like a million people strong roaming the desert. We have no food. We got no water. We got no food. Our pets' heads are falling off. Like, oh, I mean, they're freaking out. That was a dumb and dumber reference, by the way. So God ends up quickly providing manna, which was this, this kind of bread they were able to get. And the word manna in Hebrew, I don't know if you know this, it actually means what is this? Because they would wake up every morning and there would be like this kind of like coriander seed all over the desert and they would scoop it up and they could make 
bread with it. But when they first saw it, they said manu, which means what is this? So God feeds them. But then they begin to complain. Oh, if we, you know, if we were only back in Egypt, you know, back in Egypt, you know, we're in slavery and all, but, you know, we could eat any food we want. We had it good there. You know, and that, that's, that's an interesting thing how we kind of like, um, as human beings, we kind of either look to the future or we cling to the past and we make the past better than it used to be. Because we don't like to sit in, the current, in our current circumstances. So you get one group of people that are very myopic about how the past used to be. And you get another group that are, no, we got to go forward, we got to go forward. And they can't sit in where they're at now. And God ends up providing quail for them. So they have meat, they have bread, they have everything they need. God is their shepherd. God is guiding them. He set them free. He's, he's the one moving them through the desert, sustaining them. But here's this thing about the human heart is we just can't be content for some reason. There's something about us that we, we can't be content. And um, I love this about the, the scriptures. I'm gonna read to you from Psalm uh, 106, verse 13 through 15 in the message translation. Because it, it talks about um, what happens when we get everything we want, how we just, we, we feel like we need more. We feel like we've got to, you know, I just need 8% more. I need 9% more. I need 18% more. You get it and then you want more and you want more. And look, look, look what happens. Um, I'm going to read this in Psalm 106. It says, but it wasn't long before they forgot the whole thing. Wouldn't wait to be told what to do. See, God had told them, I've given you this law, follow me, obey me, and I, I will care for you. I will keep you safe. I will sustain you, right? Wouldn't wait to be told what to do. They only cared about pleasing themselves in that desert, provoked God with their insistent demands, and he gave them exactly what they asked for. But along with it, they got an empty heart. See, that, this is, this is the, the dilemma of our world is, um, believe it or not, uh, if you live in 21st century America, you are incredibly wealthy. Whether you're poor by American standards or not, you're incredibly wealthy by historic standards, by world standards, by history standards, by all of it. And the, the reality is we have more food than we need. Um, most of you, you, if you are feeling sad, you can get on Amazon and buy something and feel better. You could go on Instagram and hit like and like something. You get a dopamine hit. You can watch TikTok videos for 37 hours. You, I mean, you, you're constantly entertained you can get whatever you want do whatever you want but we're incredibly anxious and depressed as a people and see in the psalms david understood it he said but along with everything they got an empty heart and in numbers the book of numbers it tells the story about israel right that that i just told you and what happens is when they get, they, they complain, we want meat, we want meat, feed us meat. We've only been eating this manna and we're tired of it. We wish we could go back to Egypt. And God says, you want meat? I got your meat. And he gives them more than they could handle, more than they want. Some of them get sick. Some of them end up dying from, from this. And, and look what it says. I'm going to read it. Numbers 11 in uh, the message. It says, they ended up calling the place Kibaroth Hatava. Everyone say Hatava. One more time. Hatava. In Nevada, say Hatava. 
Thank you. Now, I'm gonna give you a little secret about saying Hebrew words. My Hebrew professor taught me this. It has helped me for 30 years um, going, going through seminary and as a pastor, I want you to understand something. If you don't know how to say a word in the Bible, say it really fast and really confident and you're good. Hataba. Okay, so they ended up calling the place Kibbereth Hatava, which means the graves of craving. And they were, they, they, there they buried the people who craved meat. And see, here's, here's what I need you to understand about getting everything you want in life. If everything went the way you wanted, it ends up, you end up with an empty heart and an open grave of a heart. Because you just keep consuming and we're never content in, in our moment. We're never content in the circumstance of life we are in. And what happens is the fear of losing what we have and not getting what's coming actually brings this incredible sense of anxiety upon us. And, we're, and, and we live in a culture that is fretting everything right now. So this series, we're gonna go for the next four weeks, we're actually gonna be going over Psalm 23. We're gonna go, be, go verse by verse through Psalm 23, which is a famous psalm. And I know it took me a long time to set it up, but it's the beginning of the, of the series, so thank you for your patience. I would love it if we would all stand in honor of God's word. We're gonna read Psalm 23 together. And I'm gonna read through this slow. And here's what I would love for you to do. Um, I know how this works in church. When the other pastors read the word of God, I tune out too. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Every time I pause, take a deep breath and take in what God just said in this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about the Lord being our shepherd. It was funny, after the nine o'clock service, uh, a guy came up to talk to me and he goes, hey, I was a shepherd for a while. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I, you know, my wife is like a crazy animal person and we started with a couple sheep and we ended up having like a hundred. <laughs> and he started telling me about his experience having to like move these sheep along. And I go, well, what was the one thing you got being a shepherd? And he goes, well, he goes, I love this passage because it totally makes sense now. And I was like, really? I go, well, why does it make sense? He goes, well, first things first, sheep are the stupidest animals I've ever seen. And I can't tell you how many times I had to hit them on the head with a stick to get them to go in the right direction for, so they didn't kill themselves. And I go, okay. And he goes, and that is exactly my life. 
He goes, I've needed God's crook to bump me on the head all the time because I just like to go do what I want. And I thought, okay, okay, we're going somewhere. This guy was listening to the message. See, the scripture says the Lord is my shepherd. And um, with sheep, one of the things um, you learn about shepherds and sheep is is that uh, sheep are very helpless animals. They cannot help themselves. They have to be led to food. They cannot defend themselves. Um, They will just all follow each other. And if one of them runs off a cliff, they will all run off a cliff. You know the saying, moms, well, what if all your friends jumped off a cliff? Sheep will. They, they, they will, and they are in desperate need of a shepherd. And, and, and this is something that the Bible uses as a metaphor all the time to describe God's people as the sheep of his pasture, that he is our shepherd, right? The Bible also, because it's Mother's Day, uses a, a, a feminine um, illustration for it too. Jesus, as he's riding into Jerusalem, he's on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives actually looks down into this beautiful city, Jerusalem. And while he's there at the Mount of Olives, he's looking down into Jerusalem. He knows that they're going to um, eventually arrest him and crucify him, that they're going to go their own way instead of his way. And he begins to weep and he says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I wish to gather you like a mother hen does its chicks, right? When a mother hen gathers its chicks together, they sit under its wings. Predators can't see them. They're warm. They're safe. They're all of that. And this is what the God of the universe wants for us to be drawn to him, for us to care for, to be cared for by him, to be clothed, to be fed, to be all of that, to be cared for by God, the shepherd. So it says, I love this, in John 10, Jesus talks about being a shepherd. He says in John 10, uh, 11 through 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. I don't know if you realize this, but he was talking about the powers that be in that world at the time, the Roman Empire. We have government in our world and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad and I'm not here to to diss government in any way. God instituted it, but here's what I want you to know. They don't care about you. God does. And he says this, he says, the hired hand is not the shepherd, he does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. You know, the other thing my shepherd friend last service told me too is I said, do they really hear your voice? Like my dog knows my voice. He goes, all of them do. He goes, they could, well, I, could, I could have them with 300 sheep and I'd start singing and all of them would run to me. That's like some Ace Ventura stuff, right? <laughs> come to me, my pretties. And all these sheep come. It's pretty awesome. It's a powerful feeling, right? But Jesus is, is, is helping you understand that One, when you become a follower of Jesus, he becomes your shepherd and he has you. And 
I, I want you to understand something because it's Mother's Day and one of the things that's happened in our culture is we've actually devalued mothers in our culture. Like as a matter of fact, emerging gener generations are being told, oh, don't have kids, go work a career. You know, you don't need that, it'll, it'll hem you down. And, and there's nothing wrong, ladies, with working a career, but I wanna let you know, there is nothing more beautiful you could do with your life than raise children. I just want you to know that. That is a beautiful endeavor. And I know many of you, some of you are working a, a career. Maybe you're working two, three jobs and you're raising your children. And sometimes the man isn't there. Sometimes he is. But I want you to know something. That is an incredible, incredibly noble endeavor. And God will bless you for it if you stay the course. The culture has really kind of poo-pooed motherhood. But I want you to know it is an incredible thing. I don't stand here today as the man I am without the mother I had. She was a huge part of that. And if we want the world to be a better place, then we raise better people under the good shepherd. So one of the things um, that happens, well, I, I've told, I tell this story every time I do the 101 membership class here at Clovis Hills. I tell it every time, but I gotta, I gotta tell it to you because here's the thing about sheep. Sheep tend to uh, go their own way, right? They go wherever, wherever they want. And if, they, if the shepherd is not constantly moving them along, they will run out of food. They'll be in peril. Um, you know, predators will eat them, all that. But when they stay close to the shepherd and the shepherd is watching over them, um, it's a beautiful thing. They stay safe. They, you know, it's not like it's, their life is perfect. They're still walking through the valley of shadow of death. And we'll get to that later. But what happens is when, when, you're, when you're close and you're going the way of the shepherd, you're cared for, you're safe, you're provided for. When I, I was a young father, um, I made a rookie move with my third child. Um, it was Christmas time, and kids back in the day, we used to go to this thing called the mall. You would buy things at a place. It was crazy. <laughs> Probably come back. It'll be like retro soon. Like the malls will be packed. But um, so I took my youngest to the mall at Christmas time. And it was nap time and he was hungry. Rookie move, right? Like that's my third kid. I should know better than that. But I, I needed to get something. I don't know why. So I went and I got there. There's no parking. Back in the day, kids, at Christmas time, the mall was packed, okay? I had to park way on the other end and I had to walk with this two-year-old all the way across the mall. And he's hungry. So I thought I'd get him a Wetzel's pretzel. And we got to Wetzel's pretzel and the, mile was a, or the line was a mile long. So I was like, we'll do it afterwards. Another rookie move. This is my third kid. I should not be doing this. This is why we need mom. But anyways, I take the kid, we go into the, the, to the store. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not browsing, I'm hunting. I'm like, where is this thing I must get? I get it. I get in the line, it's like 20 people long. I'm like, oh no. And my little guy, he's two years old, he's starting to melt down. He's hungry, he's tired, you know, he's just, he's losing it. And I remember, I, I'm trying to calm him down. I don't want him to freak out in front of all these people. And I know they're all judging me. So I pretend to be a good father and I kneel down face to face and I go, now buddy, we need to calm down, okay? And we'll get a pretzel afterwards. And with his sweet blue eyes, he looked at me and said, no! 
And I was like, oh, no, you don't. So I got down in his face again. I grabbed his fat little cheeks this time a little firmer. <laughs> now, buddy, we're going to calm down. No, you don't say no to daddy. Everyone's judging me. I feel it. No! He just screams. And I grab him. And I get, now I'm like, I don't care. And I'm just like, Carson, daddy's the boss. And he goes, no, I'm the boss. And he hits the ground and he starts screaming, I'm the boss. Now my wife, everyone has different, different parenting techniques. I know I'm not judging, you're judging me already, I can tell. But listen, <laughs> Kelly and I had a thing that if our kid threw a tantrum in public, we felt like we didn't need to subject the rest of the public to my child's tantrum. So I had the product I was gonna buy, I set it on a shelf, and I picked the boy up, and I'm gonna leave. I'm not gonna let everyone have to deal with my son's tantrum. But I pick him up, and he's limp. He just goes limp, and he's like, no! He's like screaming. So I have to put him under my arm like a football, and I'm walking through the mall, and he's screaming, I'm the boss, I'm the boss! Oh, and you people are judging me. What an awful father. So I finally, limp body and all, that's a heavy kid when they go limp. I'm, I'm carrying him to the car. I get to the car, he's limp body screaming, I'm the boss the whole way. We get to the car seat. He goes from being limp to the move every parent knows, the bridge. I'm not going in. I'm not going in. And I'm like, I get in the car, I start driving, he's still screaming, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm the boss! Until he falls asleep. Kids are funny like that, aren't they? See, I say that because the tendency of all human beings is we wanna be the boss. And God, I like this about you, but I'm the boss when it comes to this area of my life. I wanna follow you in this way. I want you to care for me and shepherd me and provide for me and give me everything I want, but I wanna do what I want because I'm the boss. And see what the Bible calls that, that thing that's in every human that has that and we all do. Don't point at anyone else. Stop nudging your neighbor, nudge yourself because we all got it. The Bible calls that sin. And it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, really what he was saying is, I've come to you and anyone that would receive me becomes one of mine. How do you know when you're one of his? Well, you know, my mom, died when I was a young man. She had lung cancer. And uh, she did her very best to put faith in me. She didn't really have a great faith in God. She, um, she believed she was a Christian because she was an American. That was about all. She, she, she knew there was Jesus and you were born a Christian, Sean, so therefore you're a Christian. Which in reality, like she didn't understand the gospel. She, she had no idea of it. But about her last six months of life, she be, uh, someone gave her the living Bible. 
which is like a paraphrase of the Bible. And she began reading it. And I had become a believer in Jesus at, at, at that time as, as, as a young man. And I remember coming home, watching her read the Bible. And I'd start asking her, what are you reading about? And we'd start talking about it. And um, I was able to lead my mom into a, a relationship with Jesus. See, the Bible says in John 1.12, it says, but as many as received him. Yeah, no, it was a good thing, right? You can clap. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. What that means is when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what the Bible says is you are now the sheep of his pasture, that he is your shepherd, and that if you draw near to him, he, he, he cares for you. He protects you. It doesn't mean your life is going to be unicorns and rainbows. There are still hard times. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with you in those times because he is yours. But you have to receive him. See, Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. And, and that, that's that process of receiving Jesus. And here, here's the, the, the thing about it. God will never force you to be his. God will never force his love upon you. You have to receive it. You have to, you have to make that decision. He respects your autonomy. He respects you far too much to force it upon you. You have to make that choice. And I'm going to give you a in a moment, the opportunity, if you've never received Christ before, maybe you're like, wow, I, I'm just like the two-year-old. I am always wanting to be the boss. And what the Bible says is that thing in us, sin, has, we're not part of God's people until we receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And you say, well, what do I got to do? Do I got to join this church? Do I got to like, you know, vote a certain way? Do I got to look a certain way? Do I got to dress a certain way? Do I got to talk like Ned Flanders? Like, what do I got to do to do this? And the reality is you don't have to do nothing but believe that Jesus really is the son of God, that he loves you, that he came, he lived a perfect life because you couldn't. He died on a cross for your sins and whoever believes in him shall not have, perish and have eternal life. That's it. And God loves you right where you're at. He'll never leave you right where you're at because then you become his. And he's gonna guide you and he's gonna move you along the way. And will you be a rogue sheep every now and then? Look around this stinking room. This is a room full of rogue sheep. I'm just letting you know. Other campuses too. This is a church full of rogue sheep. Yes, but he always draws us home. He always draws us back because we're his. And we know his voice. But you have to make that decision. And that, that is a decision that takes an incredible amount of courage. That on a day you work up the courage and say, you know what? I was going my way. I was the boss, but Jesus, I want yours. I don't even know what that looks like, but I want your way. And when you make that decision, that is a glorious day. It is a day that God will bless you beyond you could ever imagine. So we're going to pray right now. And maybe, um, I don't know if you realize this, but, you know, when my mom, in the last six months of her life, she accepted Christ, she knew she was going to die. And she had this incredible peace to her. 
because she knew the good shepherd now. She knew she was about to walk through the valley of shadow of death and that the Lord was with her. And as I held her in my arms when she passed, it was one of the more peaceful deaths I've ever seen. As much as cancer was awful, as much as I wish I could see her today, I wish I could Skype with her or FaceTime with her today. Sorry, Skype is last century. Listen. When you know the shepherd, you can walk through any dark valley. When you know the shepherd, he can take you through any dark valley. And you'll know that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Let's pray.